Warning. This podcast does not contain actual virgins. Discretion is advised. The Movie Virgins. I'm Lindsay Schaefer. And I'm Leah Bross. And this is Movie Virgins, a weekly discussion of our first times with movies. Each week, one of us is re-watching the film, and the other is seeing it for the very first time. And this week, for the very first time, Lindsay saw Reanimator from 1985, starring Dr. Herbert West. <laughs> not really. It's Jeffrey Combs is starring Dr. <laughs> Herbert West. We're not talking about Reanimation, Bride of Reanimator, uh... None of that. No, no, no. We're talking about Reanimator, which I saw for the first time in college. One of my dear friends, Corey, or I think we like to call him Fatso. Um, I didn't. I didn't come it's up with that really name. Really good He's, friend. Yeah, um, my friend Chris called him that, and it stuck. Um, I'm pretty sure he introduced me to this film, and I remember being like, "Why are we wa-? like God's honest truth?" I had probably been drinking. When I watched it the first Wait, time. how old were you, did you say? College age. Okay. I was probably in my... I might not have been 21. You were in college. Yeah. Okay. And um, we started watching it, and I just remember being like, dude, why are we watching this? And he was like, just wait for it. <laughs> just wait for it. Okay. And the next thing I know, a disembodied head is getting it on with some really scared girl who's tied down to a table, and I was like, this is it. That's what you were waiting for? It was a new... A new kind of, uh, a new way of uh, giving head. That, mm-hmm. you know, he gives good head. I just, it was really funny. It was really amusing to me. And that, whenever I think of Reanimator, that's all I could think about. So I Just that one scene. <laughs> and that's the only time I watched it. Oh. But I think about it quite often because it's really amusing to me. And so um, when I signed up. I for- like that this poor girl's attack is so amusing to you. <laughs> right. When I signed up for Shudder and saw that it was on there, and this was on my list from, like, the first time we started talking about doing this podcast. I knew I wanted to. So, um, I ha- like I said, I hadn't seen it since then. So, watching it again last night was with a fresh set of eyes, but I was also, I, I was drunk again, so I guess I can't watch this movie unless I'm three sheets to the wind. Um, but yeah, it was, I, I don't know. I really enjoyed it the first time, but really that's all I thought about the first time. I had no idea... That it was an H.P. Lovecraft story or based on an H.P. Lovecraft story. And this time around... Very, very loosely. <laughs> <laughs> hey, a tentacle shows up. So, um, so yeah, I I had a really good time watching it again last night. Like, it's... I like this genre and I think that this is actually a very well done movie. I thought the special effects were fun and, like, the creature effects, whatever you want to call them, the makeup was a lot of fun um the i'm not clear on why there was so much blood because here's what here's what happens when a body dies and the heart stops pumping stop bleeding you stop bleeding the blood pools the longer you've been dead the more um 
or the less viscous it becomes. So not- even if you're reanimated at a certain point, that blood is not going to flow through your body anymore, let alone come out of your well, mouth for no reason. We don't really know what this reanimation Leah, liquid does. We do know. It was very obviously highlighter fluid <laughs> and methamphetamine. Glow stick fluid. Methamphetamine and highlighter fluid mixed together. It was literally glow stick fluid. Did you read that in the trivia? No. Yeah, it was that was they were like the first time they used liquid from glow sticks in a film. Ah. So, um, because I do, I do like the glowy greenness of it. I do. That was one of the notes that I have is, uh, not quite sure how he got the needle through his skull. Because needles don't go through the fucking, you can't put it through. Uh, sure. I think he was finding but the then, soft spot in the back here and coming up from Soft spot? There's coming, like in your neck. You can't reach your, you can't reach your brain stem through there. Well, First of all, and second of all, the other note there is also that stuff is clearly radioactive. And no, he's not a real scientist. He was a med student. student. He didn't know know. shit. So so what did you so what did you think about it? My first note that I have (laughs) is um, there's some real sketchy stuff going on at this hospital. Which one? The one in Zurich or the one in Arkham? The yeah, the one here in the states, wherever they were. Arkham Um, Mass, which is another Lovecraft. It's a Lovecraft thing, yeah. yeah. Uh, for one, they're shocking people who have no discernible rhythm, which is a pet peeve of mine. The fact that he's in the, she's flatlined, but in the very beginning, clear. he's yeah, he's doing surgery, and she's like, "We're or doing surgery." He's doing CPR, and uh, there's no rhythm at all, and she's like, "We're gonna have to shock her." Well, you can do that, but all you're gonna do is fry the bitch. I don't know why you're bothering. Personal pet peeve. Fine. Obviously, the science is not good in this film. I have beef with much of the science. Um, one example, performing exploratory surgery on someone who's had a mental breakdown, performing exploratory neurosurgery at all. <laughs> a little bit of a beef. Listen, we don't really know what's going on. We're just going to crack open the skull here and take a look. <laughs> so great. I don't, even when he's teaching the students at the beginning and he's like, just make an incision here as he's like degloving. Maybe you should shave that guy's head before you just make an incision. Little things like that. So just, you know. Doc, I have two favorite characters in this film. One, I think my number one is Herbert West. I love the guy. I don't want to talk about him. The second one is Dr. Hill. Because he is he is the bad guy. And he is such a great, I really bad guy. I was so curious about the whole uh, hypnosis thing that he had going on and i don't so feel you like recognize that yeah, yeah yeah but i don't feel like i got any kind of explanation as to how or why so in he the trivia they said and originally how they wrote it in this guy can control people like right. some kind of mind control thing that he has but they ended up taking that out of the film but that had but yes you do see and i didn't even realize any of that he just seemed really fucking creepy like when he's talking to meg after her father and convincing her to do this yeah. exploratory surgery and um just kind of saying like i know you're lonely you're all alone if you ever feel lonely come you know i it's creepy but i didn't pick up that he was like trying to control her psych, like psychically or whatever but that also explains why he would be able to control all the people he's reanimated okay well it does and it doesn't but i think that's also because again the science really isn't there that he found the will inside of your brain and exactly lobotomize and your supposedly will. lobotomize them with a laser <laughs> <laughs> i don't uh, and even if you could do that how you could have a connection how you could have a connection um, to everyone at once. Right, right. Because that certainly isn't how his mind control seemed to work. But, right. you know, the mind itself shouldn't be working in a severed head. 
the science isn't really there either. But that's yeah, and, and when he <laughs> so I a hundred percent understand why Wes reanimated his head because he never not? done whole parts before, right? Well, and like he's obviously a genius, and let's just see if this works. And this so time I can probably actually get the needle in pretty easily. So like yeah, let's give it. And he's not going to be a threat to me, right? Because it's just a head. But so he hey, dumbass, <laughs> what the fuck are you doing, Rian? First of all, what the fuck are you doing reanimating the body? Second of all, no, that won't work Mm -hmm. because blood has stopped flowing. So you can stick your highlighter liquid in, but it's not going anywhere. And then also all of the nerve connections, the neural connections have all been severed between the brain, which controls the nerves in the body. So there is no, there is no scientific way that this brain would be able to operate this body. Even if the body was able to reanimate, which it can't because the blood is not flowing through it to even spread your highlighter fluid. Even if that were the case, it would be like running around, it would be like a chicken running around with its head cut oh, off. I 100% which, agree with you that it doesn't make sense. Right. We, we, are, we know that that kind of thing can happen. And you can, in fact, like you've seen with electrical stimulation, which is the other interesting thing, is that there is science behind electrical stimulation, actually, so to speak, bringing someone back. Not bringing mm-hmm. someone back from the dead, necessarily, but um, reinvigorating nerves. There's some science so, for so you. But that's not what he did. He just injected green methamphetamines <laughs> into someone. So let's, let's, let's pause on the movie and talk about this for a second, because this is... This was one of my, I do have a set of what I would like to start referring to as burning questions. Oh, okay. Whether that's a burning in your loins type of question or a you've got the clap. I got to be real with you right now. My loins were not burning while I was watching this. So I don't know what questions you got, but. <laughs> my loins were burning a little bit. For who? It's West. I love West. And yeah. then the, and Hill is just so like gross. And How can you love? About that. You do realize he killed Rufus, right? Yeah, I know. I don't believe that Rufus got into the trash and suffocated himself. No, and that is the dumbest ass. <laughs> Why don't you just say, like, I found him in the street, somebody must have ran yeah, him over. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he got his, what did he do? Get his head stuck in a jar or something? R.I.P. Rufus. Who's going to buy that? That was a real dead cat in the fridge, by the that way. That was, thank you for sharing, a real burning question of mine is, <laughs> how is this movie more than 10 minutes long? You should have taken that scarf around his neck and strangled <laughs> him the moment you realized he killed your cat. God, I love him. Poor Dan. Poor, poor, naive poor Dan. idiot Dan. Yeah. So, so let's talk about this. Do you think that there is, you seem to be really into the science of the human body and whatnot. <laughs> do you, now, and I know you don't have a medical degree, but what have you always told me? You wish we could go back, you go back to the 1800s if, and hang a shingle and be a doctor. If I had a time machine, I would go back. First of all, if I had a time machine, I would be coming back to the future from the past often so that I could like shower well Fair. and get antibiotics and things like yes, that right. but so yes that you could perform I would your, put your magic drugs into people back in the day and save them and then you would get even more street cred well i mean sure i'd wash my hands you know <laughs> stuff like that but yeah i i think I, I would go back to probably the late 1800s let's okay. go although i don't know maybe i could do a lot of good during the war the civil war but anyway 1800s i'm going back and i'm hanging out a shingle mm-hmm. i realize people are gonna be like but she's a woman <laughs> But Dr. Quinn. But once they see that I can save your leg instead of just cutting it off, I feel like maybe you'll come around. I mean, you're probably going to be burned at the stake for being a witch. That's possible. But I, you know, so all of that said, I feel like we can give you some credibility as a medical professional (laughs) because of this dream that you have. So let's talk about the reality of bringing someone back from the dead. Is it a thing... I mean, people are freezing themselves. Like, that's going to be a thing in the future. Like a suspended animation. So, so, so the, forget, forget there magic, is, just talk about medicine. There is a saying that you're not dead unless until you're warm and dead. 
Um, basically meaning if your if your body is suspended frozen, um, you can thaw it back out. We've got uh, the kid in Lake St. Louis who was under the ice for and and was essentially in a coma, came out of it. Right. Fucking fine. Right. So. Like they slowed his body and his brain function down. The cold slowed it down enough that he was able to come back. Exactly. Out. And it'll preserve brain function at the same time. Um, so yes, you may be clinically dead for a period of time. And if you are warm and dead for 20 minutes, even if you come back, even if they manage to bring you back, you're going to have most likely some sort of irreversible brain damage. Brain damage. If you are cold, a certain temperature um, and dead for 20 minutes there is the possibility that your brain function may have been preserved during that time and you could come back without any foreseeable deficits these are all extreme circumstances regardless but yeah there there is something to that too the preservation so do you think these people these very rich people who are freezing themselves will be able to at some point come be brought back i don't know enough about the current cryogenic sciences to know if the people who are undergoing that procedure now are going to be able to come back but i do think it's possible at some point in the future to actually cryogenically preserve yourself so you don't think it's going to be like if they bring them back do you think it'll be with a drug of some kind or do you think we're gonna have some other method of bringing people back to i think it'll have to be a variety of things so if you look at the human brain obviously there are a lot of chemicals um residing within the brain but it's the electrical stimulation that causes Mm -hmm. the chemicals to be released as well so i can't imagine bringing someone back without some sort of electrical uh stimulation or help and at the same time i can't imagine doing it without some sort of chemicals but what they are and how they work and and exactly that i obviously don't know okay um because i feel like with frankenstein it was 100 percent electricity uh i believe so yeah 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 okay and I think that was because, because I actually, I recently watched the, the Mary Shelley movie, so it kind of got me back into the Frankenstein mm-hmm. state of mind. But um, in the movie, and I think that it, ha- it may have happened in real life, too, that she had seen um, some of these shows where people would, like, stimulate a frog leg yeah. with electricity. And, of course, that will cause the leg to jump because mm-hmm. you're stimulating those nerves. And it sends, you know, you send an electrical yeah. impulse to a nerve, it's going to jump. Um so yeah, I think that was why she did that is because that's that was the science of the time. Mm-hmm. So, what about one other question in thinking about living past your scheduled your due time. date, um, your expiration date? Yeah. <laughs> Best Buy. Um, so, Upload was a show that came out on Amazon this spring, and. It, it was in a in a future where you can upload your consciousness into a sort of computer heaven okay um but it's all code and it's all fake and it's just your consciousness it's not real there's you're not yeah you're we're not. getting a lot closer to that actually right so i feel like elon musk is getting close to maybe cracking this there are um a handful of studies going on in a handful of places throughout the world where yeah. they're essentially mapping the brain mm-hmm. um again i feel like San Junipero, they did the same thing in San Junipero, the episode of Black Mirror, where they oh yeah that you're you 
you die, but then you go but to you can be uploaded. like, and it's basically at the end, it's like this huge server room, and they've just got all of these. Well, and that's that's why I think they're getting closer to it is because we are getting, and we're not there yet. I wouldn't say that I don't. We don't have an under, a good understanding of how the human brain nope. actually functions within our own skulls, let alone how it functions in comparison to a computer system. Yes, right. But what we do know is that it's a lot more computer-like than we ever really thought. Mm-hmm. That you can see those connections in a lot of in a lot of ways we're still figuring out all of those ways we're still figuring out where all those connections lie and how they're all made and how they're all maintained through again electrical activity and chemical activity um but i think seeing the sheer complexity of those connections has led us to see that the brain is very computer-like in that way and because of that we can map it in a similar way as to how we might um map out a server Mm -hmm. so yeah we're getting closer do i think it's Within a year, five years, ten years, your nah. lifetime. Um, I mean, I hope to live to be two, three hundred. Okay, so definitely in your so lifetime. Maybe if we aren't wiped out. I think by some the virus. first thing we really need to focus on is figuring out a way to keep telomeres from shortening. If we can do that, mm-hmm. then we can live longer. And right. by we, I and mean be me. Looking, be younger looking. Well, not even just looking, but keeping our minds fresh right. without yeah. having to inject keeping highlighter fluid into your system. So I. I think we're probably, if I had to guess, closer to shooting our brains and our souls and our wills and our personalities into the cloud than actually reanimating human flesh like that happens in this movie. I think it, I think kind of in thinking about something like, like telomeres, the reality is the human body does have an expiration date. Um, so if you can figure out a way to keep the human body from aging, mm-hmm. then it would make sense to try to maintain life by reanimating, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody happens to die of X, Y, or Z, if you can keep it from that inherent expiration that's going to occur just from aging alone. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten any closer to that, really. I think I think it's probably a better option. This sounds so dumb and, and bizarre and very sci-fi-like. We're just talking out loud. But yeah, but I think it is a better option to figure out a way to um, create a model of the human brain within a computer system and upload yourself. I think that's probably where the science is headed more so. Because it's more sustainable. Something else to consider that's already happening. Cloning. What, what keeps us from now? You probably wouldn't be the same, but what if, bear with me, you could upload your consciousness into the cloud, get cloned, inject your consciousness into so, the clone So, here again... We need to be doing more work on telomeres because what happens is if I clone you now, even the moment you're born as a newborn baby, Mm -hmm. genetically speaking, you'll be a 40-year-old woman. So your life expectancy is still going to be shorter. You're still going to be more apt to age-related diseases, genetic age-related diseases. So in order to keep that new body going for a longer period of time, we still have to figure out that aging process, how to stop it or reverse it. They're cloning animals and it's working fine. It's not working fine. I mean, they're Are not. Are the animals dying younger? Yeah. It's oh, just that, that oftentimes it doesn't doesn't matter, I'm just so to speak, because they're. people having their favorite pet cloned, and it's like a thing, and I didn't realize that the animals were dying younger. But that actually does make sense, mm-hmm. because it's your, your genetic makeup. Yeah, in Upload, they're, like, sending you up, and, and anybody can do it, but it's mostly just rich people, and it's funny because the level of service quote-unquote service that you get in this fake computer-generated heaven 
depends on how much you pay and it's like you're living in a fucking iphone where like if you like the guy are you telling me i could only afford like a cincinnati experience right exactly it's like he wants to he wants to get some breakfast which he's not really eating but it's just the experience of eating and it's like he can't he can't pay for the extra upgrades and stuff because it's like it's just really funny but the goal is that they would be able to at some point clone you and then have a body that they could put you into and so they actually in the, the show so I'm just living in this fake world until I get until my life back. Until you can get a body back. And so they actually do it with somebody. And it's really f- gross and comedic because they put the person's consciousness into the body. And then the, the person just basically, like, bleeds out. Like, he's just bleeding out of all of his orifices. And, like, fuck, it's all fucked up. And then does he go back or does he just die? <sighs> he may have been gone gone at that point. I'm not yeah. sure. They didn't. I mean, it was a big deal. Like, it's on the news everywhere everybody's watching it happen at the same time because it's like we're finally gonna see it's quite a put somebody chance you're taking yeah it's crazy um uh, yeah i just I, I think it's an interesting concept uh the idea of bringing people back and living forever and in this movie you've got this it's a it's a story about a lot of people that, but the why i like herbert west so much is he's just this really driven he's so single-minded he is like it, every time something happens he's like how can i bring back from the dead yeah <laughs> like, it's just like a fresh body yes. i don't like i i wonder <laughs> when he killed when he killed hill his name was hill was that right yeah he chopped his head off with a shovel right so he kills him and my first thought was like what are you doing, bro? Why Why are you killing him? And then my second thought was, okay, so he was trying to steal your, your research, so mm-hmm. fair enough. If somebody tries to steal your research on something yeah. groundbreaking like this, take their head off with a shovel. I get it. That's cool. But then he's like, oh, I've never actually been able to bring pieces back before. I'm going to go ahead and try. And it made me wonder if he killed him just so he could bring him back. Like, maybe he didn't even care about the fact that he was trying to steal his research. Maybe he just saw person alive. I can make him dead to make him alive again. And I'm having a hard time remembering, because I was a little bit drunk when I was watching this, but if... So, Hill brings Rufus back. Or not Hill. Herbert West brings Rufus back, and he and Dan somehow end up in the morgue together to bring... And they're going to bring somebody else back, and is it because... It's because it's because Dan realizes what's going on and they're going to just test it out. Like, I think Dan gets caught up in it. Yeah, and I think th- at one point he said something about... I, I think it was when they were going to take their research... <laughs> their research. It's not even real fucking research. But when they were going to take their supposed research um, to someone else was when West was like, well, nobody's going nobody's gonna to buy it or care mm-hmm. unless we test it in human subjects. Yeah. By the way, if anyone ever says that to you, run the other <laughs> fucking direction. <laughs> obviously not a real scientist also (laughs) and i made this is this is another note that i made um which i just feel is really important to say to everyone um med students you need to read more and the reason i say that is because pet cemetery came out two years before the book not the movie came out two years before this film so they should have if dan had just read pet cemetery Quite frankly, if Wes did, I think he probably wouldn't have cared. He would have Mm -hmm. gone on to do it anyway. But if Dan at least had read it, he would have seen the cat came back very violent and aggressive. And he would have been like, yes, that is what happens when you raise dead cats. Or raise cats from the dead. Or raise dead cats. Or raise dead cats. (laughs) (laughs) Whether you bring a cat back from the dead or you just raise a bunch of dead cats. dead cats either way there's gonna be a lot of aggression and they're gonna fight you and and they're gonna be bad and then he probably just would have been like west bitch you crazy 
I read about this. I know this is what happens. And he wouldn't have helped him to do anything else. The fact that Dan, I think Dan, because what happens is the cat, he brings the cat back and he's down in the basement with it attached yeah. to his back. And he's like, get it. And so Dan runs downstairs and helps him and then kills the cat. And then, of course, so the, the cat is dead for the second time. And then they reanimate the cat again. And at that point, the cat is just this mangled ball. Which is so horrifying. It really is. That's probably one of the. He even said he was in pain. He yes. said he was like, why is he making that sound? And he was like, oh, birth is painful. Yeah. But it no, he was he's a mess of broken bones and flesh. And and I think uh, Dan still and I, I don't know why Dan got sucked into this, but I think it's just fascination. And maybe we see at the very opening moment of the movie, we see Dan trying to bring somebody back to life. So we know that Dan cares about people dying. There was also later when he was with uh, Meg. Meg is her name, right? The girlfriend? Yes. Yeah. So later he's with her and he, I don't remember what he said. He said something to her and she said something like, yeah, but you spend most of your time with dead people, with cadavers. And I thought about it after that and was like, well, that makes sense because he's in med school. So yeah. But at the moment that she said that, all I could think was, well, holy hell, he was doing CPR on a supposedly previously real live woman before that. Is he just losing all of his patients is he just that shitty of a doctor apparently he broke that woman three of that woman's ribs in that scene oh according to the so i guess there's an audio commentary on one of the dvds and so a lot of that stuff was in the trivia so there were some interesting things that were in there and that was one of them i hope they paid her extra or something um so yeah it's just i think it's that he's driven to help people that is what like I think Dan takes the Hippocratic Oath very seriously, and so he was... Well, if that's the case, then you should know that yes. <laughs> first do no harm does not mean bring somebody back from the dead. But it's probably just that. And also maybe curiosity. I mean, he's a scientist. Yeah. I so. can see the curiosity aspect. I just... Um, I feel like you, you got the vibe from this guy from the get-go that something with him was not he's right. A off. And then he killed your cat. And then he brought your cat back from the dead. And then he killed it again, and then brought, brought it back it again. again. <laughs> he, Jeffrey Combs is just so good at being like, I, the guy who played Hill was really creepy too, and there's actually some really funny tidbits from the trivia about him, but Jeffrey Combs is just, his face, his facial expressions, his voice, he has this really interesting way of speaking, um, almost like an old-timey. It's sort of affectless. Yeah. yeah. It was really in kind of like this, like robotic mm-hmm. like scientific right. kind of a thing and it's just creepy as fuck but also just fun to watch um and and meg when he moves in is immediately like like he comes and he's checking out the basement and he's like oh yes this will do nicely mm-hmm. like and dan is just oblivious because he's handing him a wad of cash he's so <laughs> stupid and meg is like we really probably don't want maybe do you guys this. should talk about this <laughs> and he's like boom sign me up and then she's talking about like why do they go looking for rufus because she Rufus hates Herbert, and we haven't seen Rufus for days. Okay, can I ask you this? Another burning question. How do you call a cat? Um, when you call a cat, what do you do? I just call their name. So you're like, here, Sassafras. I'm like, Sassy Cat. Eloise. So you don't go, Or Or I will oftentimes, I'll just say, cat, where are the kitties? Really? Cat, cat. Kitty, kitty, kitty. I say. No, I've never, like, hissed. I can't even really do it. It's like, it was really weird how she did that. Me, I've always done the, here, kitty, 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 here, kitty. Yeah, I don't really do that. And either. then I, and then sometimes I'm like, here, because t- in this house, they're not kitties, they're titties. I'm like, where are you at, titties? Come on, titties. Show me them titties. That's... <laughs> so first, I feel like I should make the point that it is rare that I call a cat, because... <laughs> 
I know what to expect if but I call a cat. Show up. <laughs> yeah, half the time they might peek their head around to see why I'm making why noise. What the fuck are you talking? What the fuck do you <laughs> right. want? Right, but they're not usually gonna come. I just Garfield will always show up. He's right back there right now, and yeah. he's <laughs> yeah. He will always he always like if I can make eye contact with him, they'll come over. Yeah, like him and Annabelle both, but but they're not real cats. They're kind of like fake cats. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so she knows, Meg knows there's something off about Herbert, and we all know there's something off about Herbert, because we've seen him reanimate his previous, Hans Gruber, his yeah. previous Every time partner. Dr. Gruber was sad. Yeah, Gruber. Was just, ugh, it was great. really funny, yeah. But what is it he says? He's like, they're like, he's dead, and he's like. They're like, you killed him. And he's like, I was trying to save him. I gave him life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> a really great opening oh. to the movie. Um, and then, yeah, Hill just bringing it, bringing it so hard with the creep factor. I was like, is that guy wearing a rug? And then later on I read that they couldn't, they didn't have enough money to pay for a wig on the dummy head to match his actual hair. So we had to shave his head and wear a toupee. And it was the same kind of toupee that they were going to put on the fake head. Okay. But the other really great... <laughs> How much the, does a toupee cost these the days? The other really great thing about this story about... Um, his name is... Um, shit, it's uh, Dale something. No, it was Gale, wasn't it? Gale, Gale. David Gale. Yeah. David Gale. Um, they talked about... I guess they talked about it in the audio commentary. When his wife saw the scene where he is sexually assaulting... A naked woman. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh my god, David, how could you do that? And ran from the room. And then apparently divorced his ass, and they think it's because of that scene. Okay, I highly doubt that somebody divorced him because of a single scene. Well, there's she divorced him. probably other shit going on. I'm sure on. there's other shit going on. <laughs> but I just, it's a funny thing But I can understand, especially in, in 1985, I think now we're a little bit worse for the wear. But I can understand. <laughs> I can understand seeing a scene like that and thinking to yourself, like, you're telling me that you let people cover your head in blood, put you under a table, and then, and you then told you, and a then, girl's naked and body. then tied a woman down naked while she's screaming in fear, and told you to just lick her nipple. Like, you're telling me you were okay with doing that for the art? Was it? Was it because of the art? <laughs> Please, God, tell me they only had to do it in one take because what? It is so, it is so disgustingly wonderful. Like, his head in that, like, metal pan with, like, the blood gushing and, like, he's got that really weird, like, breathy sound because, of course... Which doesn't make any sense because, dude, you have no lungs. He doesn't, but he's sucking in air and you can see the, the little air bubbles coming in underneath, <laughs> like, from the blood. But th- that he is so, it is so creepy and it seems... So real. I mean, I think they did just such a really good job of helping you um, hold the illusion that he is just a disembodied head. Uh, and that he's just being held. It's so sick. And her horror, I, honestly, the moment where she realizes that her dad is dead, because she doesn't believe it at first, but then Dan tells her, like, he's dead, you know it, and she has, like, this breakdown. I thought that was good. But her horror, horrified screams at the disembodied head like licking her so good that was actually her barbara crampton like a scream queen a legit hardcore scream queen and she's incredible i think she's great in this and i i 
for me, this kind of the zombie genre is my jam. Like mm-hmm. I think vampires can be sexy and fun and 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 whatever. Like I've been watching Buffy, and that's that's a fun <laughs> show to watch. I've never yes. seen it before. It's fun to watch, but um, and it's more than just. I'm glad it's more than just vampires. I'm glad there's other creepy shit too, because like the, the Hellmouth, you know. Well, yeah, exactly. When you live around a Hellmouth, you're gonna experience more than Weird just shit vampires. Happens. Yeah, like alien things come out of eggs and whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm mean, yeah yeah. So, I like the zombie genre, and these zombies reminded me like her dad, um, Meg's dad, like he gets beat all the hell and then he gets reanimated so there's partly the reason why he's all kind of fucked up but uh he reminds although it's really funny because (laughs) (laughs) if you actually watch the uh the fight scene between him and his cadaver all the guy's doing is shaking him (laughs) he has him him by the collar and he's just shaking he's like he's not strangling him he's not beating him into the wall he's just like moving him around by the collar (laughs) so not a great constitution but he's um he reminds me of the zombies from 28 Days Later. They're kind of like fast moving and weird and they're bloody. They're really bloody. A lot of other zombie movies, the zombies are more like decomposing. Uh, they're more decomposing and that kind of stuff. Slow moving. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I do appreciate the 28 Days Later zombies. I think they're a lot of fun. Like The Walking Dead, all the zombies in the beginning were a little fresher, but over time they get more and more kind of nasty. You mean, like, mentally or physically? Like, physically, they're fresher. And, like, when there's a fresh kill who's, you know, reanimated, then, yeah, they're kind of bloody and gross. But, um, like, years and years later, zombies are still going around, but they're just really, like, mm-hmm. falling apart. You know? Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. So so this, this genre is one that I appreciate. There's some really interesting, like... I don't know, like, the when the scene where Rufus has come back to life and it's attached itself to, like, the back of... Uh, Herbert's, you know, Herbert's neck, and he's, like, screaming, and, like, the lamp starts swinging, and you've got the light kind of going in and out, and, um, the theme, I thought, was really good. Like, it fit the film nicely. Um, I read that, was, maybe it was Leonard Malton said that, uh, I think they just plain old ripped off the Psycho theme. It definitely sounds a lot like the Psycho theme. Yeah, it was very similar, yeah, yeah. So, but it just... I don't know that I had seen a lot of movies like this before my friend showed it to me. And when I was in my early 20s, I mean, I guess I had seen some stuff in high school, some trauma movies and stuff, but nothing in this genre. And then, uh... Some, what did you say? Trauma? trauma. Like, Trauma Studios, like, Tromeo and Juliet and, um... Newcomb High movies like that. I don't know what that. Are they, like, comedy, horror stuff? horror type stuff, yeah. So, anyway, like, uh... It's, like, I then got really into, like, Night of the Living Dead, and then there's Return of the Living Dead, and there's Return of the Living Dead 2, and there's Return of the Living Dead 3, which yeah. happens to be my favorite. Um, just all of those. Like, which happens to be my favorite. <laughs> I, do, I really like Return of the Living Dead 3. I've um, never seen so it. I, like, saw, I saw Night of the Living Dead maybe five years ago for the first movie. time. And it's it was It was uh, Mystery Science Theater, however many thousand. Wait, you want, <laughs> It was a live one. Black and white Night of the Living Dead? Yeah, they did a live. And they did Mystery Science Theater three thousand. Isn't that the thing where the little alien guys like do a commentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a live one. That's hilarious. So we went to the theater and they played it, and it was like they were doing it live somewhere and then projecting it to screens throughout the nation. Yeah, so it was it was fun. I mean, I think it. I can see that it was still probably a good moody kind of movie, mm-hmm. but it was also fun because we have the commentary going on. Yeah. So I've never actually seen it alone. <laughs> 
So I, I think something else I think about when I watch movies like this is just... So, like, in the beginning you see Dan um, bringing a body. It's the, the woman who died on the table. Bringing her to the morgue, mm-hmm. and he has to go into that room, and he's kind of, like, holding his breath. Like, where are all the bodies? He's holding his breath, and there's, like, the arm dangling from what looks like a burn victim. Which is another reason why this hospital has some shit to take care of. That is it's very unprofessional. Not a refrigerated space. Well... And the bodies are and just, the bodies are just laying... Yeah, like... <laughs> You don't just leave limbs laying off of the gurney. (laughs) So it's just thinking about how people in our culture feel about death, dying, and dead bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, like, uh, the Museum of Death. Is it the Museum of Death? There's one in New Orleans and there's one in L.A. Yeah. And I've been in the one in New Orleans. I haven't been. I've only been the, the inside, the front part of the one in L.A. But it's... The thing I liked, yeah, you could go there and you could just go in the back to watch the gross videos of, like, people in actual, like, accidents and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I for sure watched my share of Faces of Death when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. I've never actually watched Faces of Death. Ugh, don't. Yeah. Um, I've never really had much desire to. I, I am fascinated, as mm-hmm. most people in one fashion or another are, um, with death. Um but that in particular just it's feels very exploitative i think so exploitative and yeah. even even the um is it called bodies the thing oh, that oh i don't mind that i like the the um it's like an exhibit right. where people have been um, plasticized. Yeah, the, the problem that I have with it. Like, you can see different organ systems and stuff. Yeah, I'm not calling it out as being truly exploitative, mm-hmm. but the issue that I do take with it is all of these bodies were donated to medical science, and you're putting them on display as art. And I realize that you're saying that you're trying to teach people, but you're putting it in... You're, people are coming to see it as, as art. People aren't learning from that. In the way. If I donate my body to medical science, I'm expecting people to... It's, scientifically they, they for being, scientists to learn from it for medical students it's just putting it out there for the like i thought that exhibit was fabulous and i would love to go again like i learned a lot and i saw a lot of stuff that i would never like i always think it's weird that i don't know what the inside of my body looks like like i only know what the outside looks like and it's kind of interesting to me to think about like what does my what does my heart look like and what do my lungs look like and what does my spleen look like well and, sure but mine aren't gonna look like those people anyway and there are plenty of other pictures videos etc there are like you could read a book or watch you know but i did think that was a really cool exhibit and i i did learn a lot. i'm sure it is cool mm-hmm. i just wasn't comfortable going because i couldn't get over the fact that i do not believe that the majority of people who donated their bodies for that thought that they would ever be used for that purpose. I don't, I I can't say one way or the other, but it was a very, like, it wasn't that people were walking around laughing. Like, people were being very reverent about Mm -hmm. these are, like, it's essentially, like, a museum of Mm -hmm. dead people. Like, you do need to be, those are, you know, they were people. We need to be respectful of that. But, but yeah, thinking about how people feel about death and dying, and I felt like the Museum of Death in New Orleans, I got... They, they talked a lot about, and they had exhibits to do with, you know, undertaking from back in the day and how it used to be when people were laid out in their living rooms. And that's why we, and now we have funeral parlors and the coroner comes and takes, you know, or they come and take your, the funeral home comes and takes your bodies away. You don't clean them yourselves. You don't mm-hmm. take care of them yourselves. And it's. And that's one of the ways in which I think we've all moved so far yes, away from the reality of death. From, yes, yeah. we're very separated from it. So. Um, like I haven't seen that many dead bodies in my life and like I've only seen the dead body of a one person that I truly truly cared about so unless you count cats are you talking about just in a funeral setting no or prior in like to? an actual legit that's what I mean, before they've been yes. made up for the mm-hmm. yeah. right and I I honestly 
I I would like to be cremated. The open casket thing really gives me the heaps. And it isn't that I don't like being around a dead body. It's that there's somebody who's been made up to look alive. Well, you don't have to have an open casket, though. I mean, you can have a closed casket without being cremated. I know. I just... If you want to be cremated, that's fine. Yeah. I... <laughs> it just feels like we're holding on to the, the reality that isn't real. Like, they've been embalmed and... So yeah, I get that. And that they've put makeup on them and did their hair. And right. Everything. You can have a natural funeral as well. Like, I would rather see photos of them in real life and alive. No, than, I agree with yeah. that. I don't like uh, open caskets for that same reason. I've never seen... I've never been to awake and saw someone and thought that looks like them they it don't never exactly. they looks never like, them. like but them but i also think that there is something very profound about that mm-hmm. and i think that that is really important for some people to see that this body is a shell to to know that this person i've gone. known for however long mm-hmm. this is obviously not them to be able to see it's obviously not them i think that brings people can bring people a lot of closure yeah Maybe not peace, but yeah, closure. That they actually are gone. Yeah, and I guess you're right. Like, if you go to somebody's funeral and it was somebody you were close with and you... you, There is that... um, With the stages of grief, like, one of them is... What is it? Acceptance you get to eventually. Is that what we're talking about? Initially, it's... um, Denial. Denial, right. So you're probably right that it's part of grief to see the person and know that they're actually gone. It just is always really jarring. Like, my Aunt Flippa, she lived in the nursing home, and she was, like, a funny lady. She always... She was my great-aunt. She always, my dad would be like, yeah, she's bitching about the food, but she's gained weight, so it can't be that bad. And, like, she's just, like, you know, a tough old lady. And um, I remember seeing her in the casket, and it didn't look like her at all. Mm-hmm. Like, and I just remember, and I was a kid. Like, I just thought, that's weird. Or maybe it wasn't her. Maybe it was somebody else. I just remember seeing somebody, you know what? No, it was my mom's, my mom's grandma, who was also a tough old lady. <laughs> Um, and I remember seeing her and being like, this is weird. That also was probably one of the first funerals I ever went to, or it might be the first funeral I ever went to, because I remember my Aunt Cindy, like, was hysterical, like, uh-huh. just, like, breaking down. And then my mom was like, had attitude about that. I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> let her, let her <laughs> grieve if she's going to grieve. You know, like, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, as an adult, I could say that now. As a kid, I was like, oh, really? You're not supposed to do that? But this is, I come from the family of, like, don't. You don't show your emotions. Right. right? That's so. what I was going to say. That's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Just uh, interesting to think about that. I do, like, I want to be okay with, like, I mean, we have to accept that we're, we don't get to live forever. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, you're talking about something like the Museum of Death and the, the bodies exhibit, all mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. That's really dealing with the physicality of death, mm-hmm. of life and death, yeah. which I think is really important to think about and to, to make peace with, to make peace with the fact that your body's not going to last forever. It sounds strange, but there was uh, this this change that I had uh, in my mind regarding cancer. Mm. You know, everybody tends to think of cancer as this, this evil malady because it kills, yeah. <laughs> because it's a disease that kills. The reality of cancer is cancer is you. It's yeah. 100% it's you. Your cells it is mutating. an aberrant cell yeah. that exactly it mutates and then it grows and it continues to multiply so you can't think of it as something separate from you something foreign from you you know you can't think of it as this outside entity this evil thing it's just your body Mm. and I'm not saying that you can't or shouldn't uh fight it if something's harming you Mm -hmm. of course um but I I think it helps to think of 
cancer in this particular sense or life and death in general if you do think of it as being a very natural thing yes now the problem that i have is the spiritual side um like where you go when you die yeah the not knowing what else there is or if there is anything else and i think those are two very different things for people when you talk about the struggle to understand or accept death there are two things there one of them is kind of the physical side of I don't know that I can accept or want to accept that my body's one day going to fail Mm -hmm. and I'm going to rail against that. And then there's the other side of I might be okay with the fact that this body isn't going to last forever, but what then? (laughs) What happens next? Um, And that is in my, for for me, that is the bigger struggle and the bigger question and the greater interest. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of the reason why I don't find this movie or other zombie movies often as interesting. And if you look at this particular, if you look at Reanimator, which is loosely based on a Lovecraft story, mm-hmm. um, but Lovecraft in general, I've never been a fan. And I think a big part of the reason why is sort of the the atheism that runs throughout all of his writings, mm-hmm. that concept that there is nothing else. Mm-hmm. That's really hard for me to accept on a personal level, mm-hmm. but it, I also just don't find it interesting at all. I also think that that's yeah. just if a boring, it, then what? yeah, then yeah. it's just a boring, simplistic way of viewing things, and I, that doesn't interest me. I just don't give a shit about that. Yeah, I feel like if you, if you, th- I don't know, where that leads me is then why the fuck are we even here? Sure. Yeah. Which, what does you it matter? Could, you could argue that it does matter even if there's nothing, and maybe it matters more if there's nothing after. Why does it matter more? Because this is all you've got if there's nothing after. I don't know if that means it matters more, though. It just, it just is what it is, then. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe that that there is life after this. Like, I believe in heaven and hell. And I, it's not that I don't even believe in hell. I think it's probably really hard to get to hell. I think you have to be a really not contrite person who even if you've done bad stuff i feel like there's room for forgiveness there's a a man who at the time i read his biography when i was 12 or 13 maybe something like that his name's Daniel brinkley um and at the time so in the 90s at the time he had the most complete near-death experience on record um i think he had been dead for about an hour Okay. Was he like, it was one of those situations where he was like really cold? I don't mean, I think he had been struck by lightning, oh, if I recall. Shit. I'm pretty sure that was what happened to him. It's been years since I've read the book. Saved by the Light, I believe it was. Um, but he wrote this book about his near-death experience, and he talked about it as, I think he called it a life review. He was not a great guy leading up to this. He wasn't the worst person in the world, but he wasn't a great guy. He was kind of, he's kind of a dick. Uh, by his own, own estimation. And he said that when he died, he he didn't feel like he went to heaven. He didn't feel like he went to hell. What basically happened was he had this life review, and it put him in the position of the people he had hurt. Um, mm. So every time that he had done something wrong or bad, he was, as he went back through this review, and I think it were, I think it, he felt the good that he had done as well, but he wasn't, like I said, he wasn't the best person, so he felt a lot of the bad. Um, it put him in the position of, that person whom he had hurt in whatever way he had hurt. So it was like he could feel how they felt. Exactly. So when he came out of it, he came out of it with this realization, this revelation that it wasn't that there's life after death. And I think he talked a little bit about that. 
I think he was under the assumption that there is life after death, and I don't remember, again, it's been so long, I don't remember for sure if after the review he did, you know, see a light and talk to God or whatever. Um, but he, the, the main idea of the story that he told wasn't really, there is life after death and you want to get into heaven mm-hmm. or you want to avoid hell. It was just the things that you do in this world will be reflected back at some point. Mm-hmm. And do you want to experience the bad or do mm-hmm. you want to experience the good if you want mm-hmm. to experience good you got to put more good out that's basically what it was but I, I think that that still is something you know even if we don't go on forever mm-hmm. um, even if there is no heaven or hell I, I do feel like there is something what that is I don't know and that makes me fucking crazy because you don't like not knowing I need to know everything and this is <laughs> I told you about my first panic attack ever right mm-hmm. when I was I think I was six years old and it was just because I was thinking about the universe going on forever and I couldn't fathom it I couldn't conceptualize it obviously because I'm a human being and we are unable to conceptualize infinity and it fucking broke me at six so yeah I have a problem I have a problem (laughs) with thinking about those unanswerable questions but I also find it so fascinating to get other people's views and opinions on Mm-hmm. Um, to just talk about and learn about and then think about and create yeah. my own ideas and thoughts about. And that's why I don't, I just don't get, it's not that I don't have anything against people who think that there's nothing after. I think that's totally fine. You may well be right. I just don't understand that well, thought. Yeah, yeah. Because it seems so intriguing it's, and fascinating and, feels and such a cynical. great idea. It feels very cynical to me. To yeah, that. yeah, it does. And I, um, Vicky's parents are or at least her mother was at some point an atheist. I think she may have been raised Catholic. Um, But at her funeral, Vicky's dad read a letter that she, I I don't remember if she wrote it or if they had written it together. She she had, she died of cancer. She knew Mm -hmm. it was coming. So she had, of course, kind of had a hand in in planning all of this. And in, in the letter, it was basically talking about, you know, no, I don't believe that there's life after death because I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven and hell. Um, but I don't believe it matters either mm-hmm. because I still loved all of you people, mm-hmm. you know, and I still lived the best life that I could and all of this. So the way it was expressed there was a beautiful sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if more people expressed atheism in that way, I would understand it better. But I do feel it's like a lot of people who are like that a lot of times, who, who believe that, a lot of times they're coming at it from a really defensive posture of like, you're stupid and crazy to think there's anything else. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I know I have atheists in my life and I don't, I feel love from them and I don't feel, it's, they, uh, maybe it's the ones I've known because okay I have with, not, I have felt nothing but pure it, judgment it is, it is, from the ones I, I know. And I'm making a big judgment here, a big assumption, but I feel like atheism a lot of times comes from a place of like science and practicality and like... Which I don't understand. I think that's what bothers I, me so much is that I do feel like I have a very scientific mind and it does not in any way inhibit me. spiritual person. Right, but that's my point. Is it doesn't at all inhibit me from being spiritual as well. I don't understand why you can't have both. You can have somebody like, like Carl Jung who was a scientific person... Mm-hmm who also had this huge breadth of spiritual um, knowledge and abilities and desires, and he was very capable of, of melding the two together. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand the people who believe that there's one or the other. Mm-hmm. I, I don't understand creationists. Fucking A, I don't understand fucking creationists. 
why the hell would you think that science doesn't play into it? If God created us, he obviously gifted us with scientific knowledge at some point. (laughs) Do you think it's all a cunning ruse (laughs) that he just like... I, Maybe science is actually. I don't know. It's I'm the probably devil's work. Piss people off with this, but I feel like creationists. I atheism from some feels clinical and cynical and very like robotic and scientific, and creationism feels very uh, obtuse and like you're not really. I don't know. You're not really thinking. I think hard yeah. enough about it and like pr- like which I and granted I don't think and I, I don't know where you're getting your framework from I think and, if you're you know, being really you if you're being really robotic about something as well I don't think you're thinking yeah clearly or as in depth as you should be either so I would say that there's a lack of um, openness obviously there's a lack of openness yeah. but I think a lack of of thought yeah on but both sides and again yeah I'm being judgmental you know, about it too should, people you believe what you want to believe and you whatever because I'm all, like. And I want two things. One, um, when I think about infinity, I'm all about like circles and cycles. So like to me, like the infinity sign to me is per- like a perfect way to think about it. Like, are you you're like a Jeremy Baramy? Yeah, Jeremy Baramy. Yes, exactly. I'm able to house. All, it's, it doesn't break my brain to think about that because. But the I, problem that's how is, I have to, and, and it's kind of like it's kind of like fourth and fifth dimensions. Like, um, I can't a hundred percent process that in the right way it's like arrival like how the language works like you have to cross over a barrier to get there and my brain can't do that because I don't have the key to unlock it yes and I think so I just process it in my own way that has been one of the uh real struggles for me because again I feel the need to know everything so to be able to back myself off and tell myself you're just incapable of knowing it. I think there's a, a real comfort in that, in, in telling myself there's no way that your human brain is ever going to be able to comprehend mm-hmm. that. There's a real comfort in that. But then there's also that nagging stupid fucking voice in the back of my head that just goes, are you sure about that? Well, well why? Maybe your brain's better. Or maybe we just don't know that the brain is able to handle that yet, but maybe you'll figure it out. You need to Maybe read. you'll trip acid and you'll see it all. <laughs> don't trip acid or do whatever. <laughs> You need to read The Boy Who Reversed Himself. Who Reversed Himself? Yeah. What does that mean? It's a cool story. Are you talking about Benjamin Button? <laughs> no. It's a story about a boy in high school who has the ability to travel into fourth and fifth dimensions. And so when he comes back into our dimension, he, he's reversed. He fucks it up and he falls the wrong way and he ends up reversing. Oh, like Into the Spider-Verse. I don't know. I haven't seen Into the Spider Verse, but I gotta tell you, same kind of thing. Honestly, I fucking loved that movie. I saw it on a plane. I didn't. I'm not a huge Spider Man fan anyway. I'm not a huge cartoon fan Mm -hmm. either. Um, But I had heard such great things about it that I finally watched it. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah, I should see it. So yeah. So anyway, that and uh, the thing about uh, Infinity and whatnot, and then also I'm glad you're able to deal with it in a healthy way. I just think I just like to me. It doesn't, like, bother you. Okay, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm able to kind of work it out in my head that it makes, in a way that makes sense to me. But that doesn't mean that it's right. I, as you know, because I texted you the other day <laughs> and mentioned it, I I just finished up a rewatch, like, literally this morning, just finished up the rewatch of The Good Place. I was going to ask about, that was my other question. Because um, we were just talking about that. We were so. just talking about, so I think I texted you yesterday that I shouldn't have turned on the final episode. Now really I'm crying, right? And I turned it off for a period of time, and then I turned it back on this morning while I was while I was working out. I was like doing snatch and grabs. I was like, this this will be fine. Like if I do a whole bunch of working out, you know, 
while I'm watching this, I'm not going to be emotional. Sure. No, it didn't fucking work. Right. <laughs> I'm sitting there doing like concentration curls crying. Anyway, I was thinking about it and I was thinking about, I think one of the brilliant things that that show did in the end is that they brought to life the different kinds of fears that people have. About uh, the afterlife. About the afterlife and about the end. I think if you yep. look at the last episode, it's about the Spoiler end and alert. how people yes <laughs> you probably you should know by now yeah <laughs> but i think that they they look at the end from many different perspectives so you have jason who i still to this day love the fact that he was the first one to decide to go because throughout the entire show you're thinking he's an idiot he's a simpleton and he is simple mm-hmm. he does have a very simplistic way of viewing the world so it was really easy for him because he's not overthinking anything it was easy for him to just go yeah, that's it. I feel like I'm good. I'm ready to go. Mm-hmm. And then you have Chidi who struggled with it internally for a while and ultimately, after putting a whole lot of thought into it, decided, I don't want to wait longer and just linger and I feel like I need to go. And I feel like Eleanor who was clinging. scared. Yeah, and clinging to it and like, I don't, I don't know what it is. And... I don't want to go somewhere where I don't know what it is and what happens if it's all over and you know what does that mean? But she, even everybody had to make peace with it in their own time. They did, which and is a that's great what, kind of thing lesson. Like it's okay, that's okay. Right, right. I, I guess that was my question for you: is who do you feel like? Whether you you know feel like one of those characters, or I guess what would you feel if you were in that position? What hits you the most? Like I said, I I really identified with. Eleanor's fear and pain of being alone yes and not being ready and like the fear of maybe I won't be ready and I don't know what'll make me ready and I don't you know there was kind of that false alarm where she thought Mm -hmm. that she was ready and then it was like but maybe I really not I don't know that is kind of how I feel and I know there are people out there and god I envy them who are the more Jason side of well just ran its course and uh I feel good and I'm gonna go on <laughs> yeah I think it, I think that I it's for me that you said the loneliness so what really hurt me was that she finally found Chidi and they had this great life together in the afterlife and then he needed to go before her and it was a conscious choice really hit me in the feels because if you love somebody why would you consciously choose that but i also know that it's he did say it's, that he would stay for her when she said yes, i'm I scared know. don't leave me I know. he said fine he did but and and so then she had to let him go so i think mm-hmm. that kind of played out and we don't get that choice on earth right we have to people go when they go and you don't get it you don't get to choose it for yourself and you don't get to choose it for other people unless you know it's, you're a murderer it is funny though cuz the way that that end played out i do think it's very similar to um, somebody who has been given a fatal diagnosis, though, mm. that you know. So you know Chidi's going to leave soon. Like, mm-hmm. once he says he's ready to go, you know he's going to go. Gonna you go. know you can't yeah. hold on to him forever. Um, and she does struggle with that. I'm begging you to stay, even though I know you can't, mm-hmm. which I think is something that families, you know, loved ones do. And it's got to be really hard on yeah. the person who's actually going. And I think that's one of the failings of our society, too, is that desire to not let people go. They could have 
it's a, a peaceful it's a, journey. It's a selfish thing. Yeah. Like you don't want to, you don't want to be alone. You're going to miss your friend. You're going to miss your family. Like mm-hmm. for whatever, like we're, we're not empathizing with that person in that moment. We're just caring too much about how it's going to hurt to not have them around anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually is a really good segue back to reanimator because Dan makes the choice to bring her back in the end. Mm hmm. Damn well knowing it's a bad idea. Well, okay, so it it is and it isn't. I mean, I don't know what she's gonna be like because so like her, Well, she's fresh, sure. Her dad was banged up all the hell when he was reanimated, so I he was all fucked up anyway, and then he got lobotomized. So we didn't ever see a fresh body except for Hill, who had been at that point decapitated. So what would it be like if it was a fresh body that wasn't do you know what i think he what i think that he may have thought i of course have never seen any of the sequels (laughs) or anything either um but putting myself in his position i think my thought would have been let's find out like i'll go ahead and i'll bring her back and if it doesn't work work out i can just smash her brains in you know what i mean but but i don't know that i could because i love her and I don't know that I could actually make myself do that, which is funny, like, to come back to Pet Cemetery, but that was the issue with Pet Cemetery, yep. of course. Is brought his wife back and you, brought his kid back and you brought the bring, cat back. Yeah, you bring back your small child. Who's, like, a little And you can monster. see that he is not of this world, but are you actually going to be able to take him out? Yeah. Um, well, and, and those people, like, the, those ones brought back in the Pet Cemetery were, like, demonic. Like, they were possessed. They, well, I mean, according to... Stephen King, maybe, but the people live in it, they wouldn't know one way or the other. They just know they're bad. You couldn't see the evil fucking look on Gage's face when he was like holding the scalpel and like that fucking kid. Oh, he's the best. <laughs> what? Even the sound of his voice, like "Hi, Daddy, bye, bye," <laughs> like so creepy. I love it. I love it. Um. So yeah, I I don't know. Dan and Meg were for sure the most sympathetic characters in this one. And the relationship between Meg and her dad was strong enough in the end that he was able to overcome the lobotomy of his will (laughs) to save her from the other zombies. That end scene in the morgue was so great. When the zombies start, the reanimated people start tearing shit apart and then it gets all smoky. And then I don't know why Herbert decides to like doubly, triply inject... Hill's Didn't body. he even say something like, I want to see if this works or something? He, he, he said something like, like went, uh, he <laughs> took it another step too far. Good job. Which was not out of character for him at all. No. And then the body burst open and here comes a tentacle, which doesn't make any damn sense. <laughs> and then he's like, my notes, like throwing his notes to Dan. It was perfect. It was a just chaotic mess and I really loved it. I, I think there's a lot of stuff in this movie that in in theory would be disturbing. Mm-hmm. I'm not really disturbed by zombie horror movies. Like uh, It doesn't... The disturbing it's not my, thing was the sexual assault. Yeah, exactly. It's not my cup of tea. Well, it's not even just the sexual assault, um, which visually is disturbing. <laughs> I will, so gross. I, I loved that. it. But his... Their relationship, lack thereof, his bizarre obsession with this girl... Mm. There's a huge the age difference. He's the... known her since she was very what, young. What is it he said? Uh, and I wanted to ask you, because Dan at one point says, I think he's projecting a psychotic need onto her. And I wanted to know. What yeah, the what are is, you talking about? What does it mean to project a psychotic need onto someone? That doesn't even, what is a psychotic need? 
You just coined a phrase there, Dan. That's somebody who clearly hasn't gone through a psych rotation yet. Also, who has a padded room adjacent to their office? Do you not? No. I would love a padded room. Just right there with like a window. I actually thought about that years ago. How amazing it would be to like buy a house and you know maybe you have a guest room and an office and then you have another extra room and you just like line it with um the like memory foam just like line it with layers and layers of memory foam (laughs) just so you have a safe space where you can you know like a panic room (laughs) so all right okay (laughs) hear me out hear hear me out hear me out (laughs) Leah. Have you ever been in a situation where you have literally slammed your head repeatedly into the wall? No, but I've seen somebody do it. So. And I was like, you need to stop and I need to get the fuck out of here. He. Okay, now I want to know that story. <laughs> I'll tell you later. Okay. Um, but I've, I've done it. I've been there. It's. It doesn't feel good physically, but. No, it doesn't. It's a good release. It's it's like a cutting technique. I mean, sure, granted, yeah. it's self-harm. Sure. Yeah. But. It does, you do get a release out of it. That's the whole point of, mm-hmm. of self-harm, of course, is, is getting that kind of release. So imagine if you have a room that is completely padded where if you feel like you need to hurt yourself, it is a safe space where you can go and attempt to hurt yourself but to get that really out get without actually hurting yourself. You can rage out. You can punch the wall repeatedly. Mm-hmm. You could bang your head on into the floor. You can um, just run around the room and throw yourself into the wall like, Get it the fuck out. Doesn't that sound great? It does, but that's why I liked Croft so much. Headbutts, loved it. You can't, but... Loved it. But (laughs) uh, you still have to think about whether or not you're really hurting someone in that situation, too. You do, but, I mean, like, so for me, rather than a padded room, maybe a room with a nice... Uh, padded floor and like a heavy and a bag, bag that you could just well no I'm all for that, that I yeah. just think that's that's a separate in this case you're that's just, a separate feeling how big I is guess. this room I'm just trying to picture because for in my mind it's maybe a little too big I would like to be able to like run into the wall okay. so I need enough room to move right. okay but it doesn't have to be huge okay so just enough to get a little speed so you could just like slam into the yeah wall. yeah you, you do you I just think it sounds great. Well, someday you'll have a house with that <laughs> memory pool foam that panic you always room. wanted and that memory foam panic room slash rage room slash whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I would love to have a pool. I just don't want to take care of a pool. Yeah, me neither. We would have, but I I'd really want to get a bit. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice to have a pool boy in general, but man, do I want to be able to swim laps. <laughs> so do you want to talk at all about the sexual assault slash the treatment of Meg in this movie mm-hmm. as a character, as an actress, mm-hmm. Barbara Crampton. Do you have any thoughts? I'm I'm very curious about and and I totally understand why it wasn't explored because we're just calling this doctor a creeper and kind of going with that. You Dr. Know, like, Hill. Yeah, that's that's what this movie is. It's dude's a creeper. I am very curious about his <laughs> his psychotic need. <laughs> I am very curious about, uh, yes, why he chose her and what he thought she was because she obviously, and I think that's the the other interesting thing um, for me is he sees her as this sweet, nice, gentle, pure girl. And she's obviously not. And I don't mean that she's a bad person by any means, but she's a normal girl. I keep saying girl. She's a woman. She's, what, 21, something like that. Yeah, college age. But... She's a normal person, at least in the beginning, yeah. and yet he sees her as this, uh, 
this ideal woman. And I, don't I do think that there is something to that. Um, I think that's something that certain men compartmentalize women in one of two one of two ways. You are uh, the whore or you are the Madonna. angel, the Madonna. Madonna or yes. the whore, yeah. Um, and it really fucking bothers me. Obviously it bothers me because I'm a woman, but it also bothers me just because it is so simplistic and so not within the realm of possibility that a single person, female or male, could ever be utterly one of those things. And I feel like he does see her as this Madonna sort of put the creature. Pussy, he put the pussy on a pedestal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but then when he violates her, does she not become the thing that he doesn't want? Well, like, I think that's I, the unfortunate side effect that some men find, too, is now I no longer want her. So it's the wanting and the chase, but then once you've got it, it's like, push, like, yeah. whatever. Because to me... Which, in fairness, is something that we often find when you start thinking that someone is more than they are without really knowing them and mm-hmm. come to find oh, out yes. that they're a real person. Yes. We put... Uh, we start to hone in on little details of things that we like, and it's mm-hmm. silliness, and it's just us, yeah, crushing. But I think that he was obsessed with her, mm-hmm. and I think psychotic was an appropriate thing to point. He was obsessed with her. It was an unhealthy obsession. He had locks of her hair. That's gross. How did he get those? Fuck, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> She's the child of a colleague. Whom he's known for years. Yeah. So he, yeah. he definitely alluded to the fact that, again, that he knew her when she was a child. It's gross. So... Uh, I mean, I think we were talking about this the other day. Like, people who... Uh, we've seen this a couple of times. Maybe I don't want to get into this, but yeah. Where you're a mentor or a teacher or a family friend, and then you and you know this person from the time that they were a kid, and then they become of age, and suddenly they're a sex object. Were they always a sex object to you? How does you, that switch flip? It's nasty. And I can't, like, I want to say to myself, they're two consenting adults. They're two consenting adults who can do whatever the fuck they want. But when I think about the fact, like, if I, I'm thinking about my friends now who have kids who are elementary age or middle school age. Mm -hmm. And they're just kids to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When does I, the thought that I would ever in my life, when they're, 18 or older be like oh yeah that's a hot piece of ass it's disgusting mm-hmm. I but it happens and I don't <laughs> I don't, I don't know. get it I don't get it it just feels nasty so it's it's pretty gross and I so I think for him it was about some of what you said like she's this virginal you know beauty and he not that she's a virgin um well he doesn't know that right so he's just kind of going after her and well and it's funny too when they're at dinner with her dad and she's talking about she's going to dance and hill's like like, can he just come here and study like he doesn't want her to leave and he's very uh like i don't shippy with her like he very like wants much wants control over her and there was a a a part of me that thought that that was actually the single grossest scene and it's because there are three people it it was actually as that scene began and they're talking and he's pouring wine for everyone you know Mm -hmm. and i'm thinking to myself like is he staring at her like he's just fucking creepy staring at her right and then he said something about was he cheersing to her he said something yes, about like to- what, she's turned to into her. such a young wonderful young yep, woman and yep. this and that it's gross the fact that her father did not see the creep factor actually bothers me more yep. than the severed head trying to 
<laughs> liquor all over because that's just like a horror movie thing but that felt very real that that this father is just so delighted to have his friend there that he doesn't even see how he's looking at his own daughter well, and they're celebrating the the research and the work that he's done and it's they've just gotten a grant or something i don't know yeah, they're celebrating was something, something going on but i yeah i think that's a really good thing that he all he should be his daughter's protector and he does save her in the end and then dan should be protecting her and it's not that she can't protect herself because i i feel like she had a lot of um i'm trying to i can't think of the word but she she was a she was equal to dan in a lot of ways and you know she's the one who's like herbert's weird and like we need to find rufus like she's not but in the and then she even has control over her dad when he gets really fucked up and she's having to make decisions for him and it's scary um but she's doing it it's not like she this is tiny frail little thing that can't mm-hmm. do anything but of course hill takes advantage of her and uses his weird psychic bullshit and convinces her to do let him do exploratory brain Brain surgery surgery, which is yeah a newfangled thing that their kids are doing now um i don't understand the faculty at this school i know right like how i don't i don't when when uh herbert not herbert when hill comes back to the office with his his severed head self and he's talking to uh halsey uh who's in the padded room um, or in the little room that he has off of his office, and he's like, it's time, and he's talking to him, and I'm thinking, where the fuck are the other admins at this university, and why aren't they wondering what's going on? And the other great thing was the security guard outside of the door. Because, <laughs> like, it, I picked up that he was going on to jerk off. Like, he wasn't going on a coffee break. Dude was going to jerk it. He had a boudoir magazine in his hands at one point. Oh, I didn't even and notice. And he was like... Time for a break. He was, he was def- there alone most of the time. He could have just done it under the desk. <laughs> I know, but they for sure verified that in the trivia. Oh, Dude was going okay. to jerk it. I just love when he came in during that first scene and he's holding a gun. <laughs> yes. But he was like not really holding it. And then he, he looked like he was about to drop it as he backs out of the room and goes, I'm going to call the police. <laughs> <laughs> no. Also, in the very first scene where Herbert is reanimating his uh, Hans Gruber <laughs> like the cops are there with like the secretary or whatever the cops before they burst through the door are pointing their guns at each other like completely oh, mishandling <laughs> their weapons it was really funny i was like oh god that's terrible you guys, you like, guys, it's so much. bad <laughs> is that how they do things in zurich like oh it was right up there with again shocking somebody without a rhythm it was just like uh, oh, uh hold this gun uh, do that uh uh play, play with this medical stuff <laughs> Was it, I mean, did you at least enjoy watching it? Like, was it entertaining? Yeah, it was entertaining. Yeah. I, I think I actually liked the beginning more. I, again, I think it, for me it comes back to I like the uh, the suspense of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm, a, build some good I'm into suspense more so than gore. Gore is kind of like, you can give me a few minutes of it and it's interesting, but I don't really care that much. It's It doesn't really amuse yeah. me in the same way. So I feel like in the beginning, as we're kind of building suspense and you're mm-hmm. feeling of like, what's in it? What, what is going on and what yeah. exactly is? And you do know to an extent, but like, how does all of this work? And then again, <laughs> I, it sounds dumb to say, like, I wanted it to be more scientifically accurate because I realize it's really <laughs> just, you know, a, a 1985 kind of B-horror movie. <laughs> I get that. And I was, of course, able to suspend, suspend disbelief and, and have fun with it. But 
there's a part of me that just wants to remake it and make it serious <laughs> because I feel like it uh, it could be really interesting <laughs> that way. I, uh, yeah, I guess, I don't know. There's good suspense. I think it's a lot of fun. And the gore, like, a lot of it's, I, is amusing to me. It's, like, funny to me. Um, it's funny. I think yeah, I, I just it. keep, and I do, I do that all the time with, you know, that doesn't make any logical sense, <laughs> but it doesn't. <laughs> when um, when West was chopping Hill's head off with a shovel, and then when Dan is chopping off the guy's arm who's choking Meg at the end, it's fun because you see them chop, and then you see you know somebody's back there, and they're just like throwing fake blood squirt, at the squirt. wall, which is always really fun to watch. So that was amusing. Um, yeah, I guess. I didn't have I'm trying to think if I have any other questions I think the only other question I might have is do you think that Herbert West is hot no really (laughs) yeah really (laughs) we were talking about my thinking that Vincent Carthizer is hot earlier so maybe it's just me I think it's just you yeah I think he's cute I don't know (laughs) oh and and I wrote this in all caps did you take note of how Meg put her bra on? No, I didn't. How she, she did, did she do it around front? She hooked it in the front and then twisted it around to pull up the cups. So it doesn't make a lick of that's sense. How, that's how I put on my bra. Like why can you not? Person. Why can you not hook it behind yourself? Well, now I don't feel bad about it because Meg did it that way. So she probably did it that way so that you could like see her boobs longer or some shit. If that's the case, I don't think the Barbara Crampton would have gone for that. If they were like, we need you to do it this way so people can It just doesn't make any sense. Because look, I can just, I mean, don't look like I'm not doing it. I'm wearing a sports bra right now. But I can just talk about it. We're both naked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, ah, Leah, don't touch me there. (laughs) Oh, you're so silly. (laughs) Oh my God, that tickles. (laughs) Okay, stop. Stop. The point is, you can take a brazier. Uh-huh. <laughs> you can slide your arms through it. You put your arms through it. You put your arms through. You put your boobs in. You and reach around you back and you hook. Hook it, hook it. Like, why are you doing this weird twirly twirl? I don't get I don't it. Know. It's just, like, it's just how I do it. I don't get it. And then you gotta, like, adjust your boobs in the cups. Okay, so I don't have to do that. Because like, my boobs don't really fit. Like, my, my, my cups just kind of fall. <laughs> the boobs don't barely sit there. My friend went to, like, Ann's bra shop, and she was like, they showed me how to do it, like, legit. She's like, you got to lean over and then give them a little tug to get them in there. I was like, that's actually genius, so they don't get smushed around the sides. I guess, is that what happens? Apparently, yeah. You want more, like, yeah. So my padded bras <laughs> simply sit atop. <laughs> the lack of boob i've never had to like with the exception of like if something is maybe like pinching or something Mm -hmm. and you might have to move yourself but i've never had to actually like fit a boob inside (laughs) it just sits atop would you get a boob job is that something you've thought about um when i was younger i thought about it a little bit but i well first of all first of all i think i i need to point out the fact that i have no ass (laughs) <laughs> so I have been afraid that, like, if I got a boob job, I would just tip over forward. Because I also have very small feet. So I don't have a ton of, of balance because of those tiny feet. So if I put too much weight on one end or the other, I mean, that could really fuck with me. Um, but no, I, I, I feel like the biggest struggle for me having small boobs is my self-image when it comes to feeling fat. 
Mm. Like, I, I feel like one of the reasons why I so often look at myself in the mirror and don't like the way I look is because I can see that I have a slight frame. Mm. And one of the ways, I mean, I can see that because I have small feet and I have no ass and yeah. I have no boobs. So you see somebody who should be quite slight and there is yet meat upon me. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the biggest issue that I have with it but I don't really have an issue with not having big boobs like they don't get in the way which is great boobs I, I don't in the way. I don't have to adjust myself I remember my mom talking about playing golf I remember her saying something about swing I yeah like there I don't know why we were talking about. I think we were just talking about golf in general and like you know is it fun or should I should I learn how to play or something? My mom was like, I kind of had fun with it, but really I just couldn't do it because, yeah, like I can't get the swing right mm-hmm. because my boobs would always get in the way. And I'm like, I don't understand how boobs can get in the <laughs> way. I don't get that. So, no, I, I have I'm made absolute peace with the fact that they're small. I don't care about that. I just wish that my body was fitter. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I think that's my thought is that, I feel like maybe I'm disproportionate. That's okay. the concern of mine. But I don't feel like I need to be bigger. Which doesn't mean that I don't still wear padded bras. But I think that's another part of it, too. I'd be really upset if I could never wear a padded bra again. Like, why mm-hmm. do you... What, how, how does that even feel? Like, I do have some bras that aren't padded, but... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I inten- there's, there's a comfort there. I intentionally don't buy padded bras or bras with like push-up because i just don't i never like we don't need it i probably could use it it doesn't hurt to push up your tits and like make them stick out a little more you're trying to catch a man like how else am i gonna catch a man i don't like oh yeah that's probably why i'm still single though (laughs) the small boobs (laughs) no that's definitely not why you're still single it's the sports bras (laughs) small boobs and is it the small ass? Is it the, <laughs> is it the small feet? What is it, Leah? What do I need to change? It's your personality. Just kidding. I'm just, <laughs> the um, small, it's the fact sad that you're a raging lesbian. Is that... Are you sure? <laughs> oh my oh. god, I've been hiding it from myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad that it was entertaining for you. It is a classic. It is. I had definitely heard of it before. Um, I don't remember ever really knowing people who've seen it. It's just one that I kind of knew about. I think but. it's a good story, too. The, the motivations are clean for everybody. Um, the characters, I feel like, are strong. Um, you know, it's a fun kind of story. An interesting story. An interesting thing to think about. And, uh, yeah, classic. In science, a lot of ways. The science not great, but, you know. Science not great, but if you suspend your disbelief a little bit, you know, it could happen. I'm going to go get some glow sticks and put the fluid into a into a syringe and we'll see what happens. I mean, you're still alive. Blood is still flowing, so you don't have to inject it directly into your brainstem to see. Just, I'm just saying if you want to grab a syringe and a glow stick to find out what happens... <laughs> You can do that uh, now. Ew, I would be so sick if I did that. Imagine if you injected yourself with... No, you would die. Yeah. Poison yourself. <laughs> you, yeah. Idiot. All right. Anything else? No. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time. The Movie Virgins. What the fuck is up, people? This is Leah. 
Happy October 1st. It is officially Halloween season and we're starting off our month with three animators. So we hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Next week we will have Annihilation. Yay, Annihilation. So that one's coming for you. Um, we're trying to pick some spooky ones, spooky spookies for the month of October, some fun spookies. Um, so yeah, that's what we've got going on. What have you got going on? How you doing? You wearing your mask? Are ya? If you're not, I would like for you to get up from wherever it is you are and go find it and put it on. Just do it. Just sit in it. Just feel it. Just feel that mask on your face. Feel it on your fucking face. Um, wherever you're listening, we would love it if you would subscribe And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us. And if you are so inclined, review us. Love to hear from you, whether you loved it or hated it or whatever it is. You can find us on Twitter at MovieVirginsPod. Sometimes there are tweets. And uh, yeah, we hope everybody's doing good. Taking it easy, wearing their maskies. And we'll see you next time. One last thing, the music in this episode was written and performed by Melissa Powers.